Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. The message comes a little bit earlier than you might expect in, in our normal service because we're going to have uh, the, the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. And I hope this will prepare us to find even more meaning in this experience than maybe before. I'm going to ask you to humor me by um, participating in a form of a spiritual calisthenics just to get the day started. And then we're going to come back and do this again at the, at the end of my little talk. So uh, see, see if this works. I'm going to give you some hand motions. And then we'll go back and redo the hand motions, and I'll give you words to repeat as you do the motions. But first of all, let's see if you can do the motions. Is your, is your wrists all warmed up here? Okay, you ready? Here we go. Uh, first do this, then do this. <laughs> then do this, then do this, then do this. Yeah, and then finally this. Oh, wow, you guys are great. I wish you could stand up here and watch all this is happening. <laughs> it's just good. Okay, now I'm going to put words with the motions. So we're going to be like little children here. Jesus said the kingdom belongs to people who are willing to be children. So here we go. So I want you now to, to do the same actions, but now repeat these words after me. I am plunder. You are plunder. <laughs> all of us are plunder. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the mighty plunderer. We belong to you forever. Now, I hope by the end of this next 20, 25 minutes, that'll make a whole lot more sense to you when we do it again at the end. Obviously, the, the key word here is plunder. And I hope by the end of this message, you're going to see yourself and each other and even the Lord Jesus in some whole new ways. Now, uh, the, the text for this morning is the one that uh, Jeff gave me. As you know, he's been leading us through uh, some wonderful weeks of study in the Gospel of Mark, and there's more of those to come. But this is the text that comes up for today, so it's the one that I was assigned. And, uh, it's, it, it, you know, he titles this whole series, Breaking News. Well, boy, is this ever breaking news, the text this morning. So if you want to read along on the screen in uh, Mark uh, chapter 3, Uh, Beginning in verse 20, we read these words, breaking news. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples weren't even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from the Jerusalem said, now, he's possessed by Beelzebul. It's by the prince of demons that he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. No, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can, here's the key word, then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, tell you people shall be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter, but every... One who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because they're guilty of an eternal sin. Now, he said that because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. They're standing outside. They sent someone to, to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, hey, your, your mother, your brothers are outside looking for you. He said, wait a minute, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked at those who were seated 
in a circle around him, he said, huh, here are my mother and my brothers, because whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's take a little uh, blast to the past for a minute. I don't remember if you remember in 1987, there was a movie that came out that was sort of the beginning of a whole genre of movies that lead on to Gardens of the Galaxy and all the rest. 1987, Masters of the Universe. Anybody remember seeing that film? Not many. It's been a long time. But it was the beginning of the whole genre, as I said. And, and in this story, there's this most powerful man in the universe. They're really creative. They call, his actual name is He-Man. <laughs> so there's He-Man, and uh, he comes from the planet, get this, Eternia. And he ends up accidentally on planet Earth, right in the midst of a battle going on against the forces of darkness led by Skeletor. And so he enters into the battle, defeats Skeletor, and saves planet Earth. Now, that's nothing but rank plagiarism, right? <laughs> Comes right out of this passage. But there's a lot of truth in it that's here in this passage. So let's talk about that for a moment. First, a little background of what's going on. As we've learned from Jeff's great sermons, uh, you know, Jesus has been on the move for quite a few months. He's been healing people, delivering them from demons, teaching them wonderful things about God's kingdom and purposes and promises like they've never heard before, and the crowds are amassing around him, and, and they're keeping him so busy, it says he, they can't even find a time to eat. And finally, his mother and brothers and sisters don't, don't live far away. They travel over to where he is because they're really concerned. They believe he's gone insane, literally. And they've come to get him, to take him home, and to help him recuperate. <laughs> But then the Pharisees step in and said, no, no, you don't understand what's going on here. What you see is happening is because he's possessed by Beelzebul, and that's why, he, you know, Beelzebul's a prince of demons, and that's why he's able to drive out all these demons. Well, Jesus takes charge of that situation. First of all, he, he refutes the logic of the Pharisees. I mean, it's just obvious. A house or a kingdom divided against itself it's going to crumble in the end. You know, it was uh, Abraham Lincoln who plagiarized this passage in his famous House Divided speech that he used over and over when he was running for the Senate in 1858. And he's absolutely right about our nation then and about any situation like this. You know, it's out of hand to even suggest that what I'm doing, Jesus said, could be Satan throwing out Satan. The second thing he says is also, if you've got a house that's being guarded and controlled by a really strong man, then you need a he-man. <laughs> you need somebody that's stronger that, first of all, has the courage and the willingness to enter in to that house. That's a first step. And then to tie the strong man up, that seems like an impossible step, but Jesus said, that's exactly what I am doing here. And then the third thing he says, but I'm doing more than that. He says, what I'm actually doing is I'm plundering the strong man's house. Now, when he said that, he's actually talking about fulfilling prophecy. There's a lot of, as you know, prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in his ministry, and here's one of them. You'll see it on the screen. Isaiah 49 says, Can plunder be taken from warriors? Uh, captives be rescued from the fierce? Well, of course, the answer to that is obviously not. But, God says, this is what the Lord says, yes, captives will be taken from warriors. Plunder will be retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you, and your children I will save. 
And then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. He's just fulfilling that prophecy. He's the mighty plunderer. And uh, when John looks back on all of that and, uh, and writes about it in 1 John uh, chapter 3, many decades later, listen to what John, here, here's how he put it. He says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, now he doesn't use the word plunder, but he's basically referring to the same thing. He's appeared to destroy. Jesus has come to do one thing, to destroy the devil's work. You know what's really interesting about this uh, imagery that Jesus is working with here? Is that the the word Belzebul, which was their word for Satan or uh, the devil or a skeleton, Belzebul literally means of the house of Baal. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know the Israelites were constantly over the generations, going back to worship Baal, that that idol Baal that they felt had control over that whole region of the world. House of Baal, sort of like the House of Windsor. It's a term of royalty. In other words, Belzebul is really a way of saying this is is one who's over a kingdom, who, who, who is a king. Belzebul. So when he talks about entering a house, tying up the, the strong man of the house, he's talking about the house of Baal, the house of Satan. And boy, he's been doing that ever since. You know, if you wanted to, to say, well, what's been going on the last 2,000 years <laughs> since Jesus came? Well, what's it all about? Well, from God's perspective, there's one main thing that's been going on, and all the stories I'm hearing of what's going on in Ukraine right now, for example, it is phenomenal, the spiritual awakening that's taking place in the midst of all that bombing. You don't hear about it on the news, but those who are laboring there have have all kinds of things to report because what Jesus has been doing all over the world for the last 2,000 years can be summarized in one word. He's been plundering the house of Baal. I'm plunder. You're plunder. If you belong to Jesus, we're all plunder. All praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a mighty plunderer. And I and you and we belong to him forever. In fact, he's doing such a successful job that we read in Revelation 7, you'll see it on the screen, at the end of history, at the consummation of the ages, John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He's now gathered all his plunder together. <laughs> and there's so much of it, you can't put a dollar value on it. There's so much of it, you can't count it. It's beyond number. But you're going to be there if you're his plunder. And maybe we need just a, a, just a little bit of a seminar on Satan for a moment. What does the Bible say about this house of Baal? I picked out four verses from many we could look at. For example, 1 John 5, you'll see it on the screen, says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Control. Ephesians 2 says, once you followed, once, once, before you were plundered, you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all of those who are disobedient. 
Revelation 12 says, The serpent of old, who is also called the devil and Satan, deceives the whole world. Or take, for example, uh, the wilderness temptations. Isn't this interesting that Jesus began his public ministry, first of all, all by himself in a wilderness like a desert, confronting who? Satan. And one of the temptations Satan gave him, you'll remember, as he took him up on a high mountain, he was able to, magically, I don't know how he did it, but he, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glories. And then he said to Jesus, he said, all of this is mine, and I can give it to whomever I want to give it to, and if you'll fall down just one time, just, just fall down and worship me, I'll give it all to you. Notice that Jesus did not say to him, hey, you're making this stuff up. That's absolutely not true. He didn't fight him on that basis. Why? Because it was true. Instead, Jesus said, hey, there's only one person in this universe I plan to worship, and that's my father. So you might as well just get out of here. Be gone. So when we read here about Jesus breaking into the strong man's house, the house of Baal, I mean, this is no small feat, is it? Back about the turn of the 4th century, about 302 A.D., there was an emperor uh, that came over the Roman Empire by the name of Diocletian, who was sort of like Hitler in his motivations to, to eliminate all the Jews. Well, Diocletian decided he wanted to eliminate all the Christians in his empire. And so began a massive uh, persecution. In fact, church historians literally call it by the term the Great Persecution. It lasted about 10 years. Thousands of Christians were martyred, many of them in the arenas, eaten by animals or slain by gladiators. It was a horrible time. But then along came another individual I'm sure you've heard of whose name is Constantine, and he felt out of a vision that God was calling him to defeat the powers of Diocletian, which he ended up doing in a couple of battles, and, and as a result, to turn, turn the tables around, and Constantine declared that Christianity was to be the primary religion of the entire empire. Not the only one. He didn't cancel the others out. He just said Christianity is going to be the prime religion of this empire. And he even uh, uh, created a coin. He minted a brand new coin for, for Romans to use. You'll see it up on the screen. Uh, on one side is a picture of, uh, of Constantine himself. But on the other side, an interesting, it's a banner. And across the top of the banner is Cairo, which are the first two Greek letters of the word Christos or, or Christ. So it's a banner about Christ which they would carry as they marched through the streets or carry when they marched into battle from that point forward. But notice in the, in the coin that that banner also acts as a sword, and notice where the sword is going. It's piercing the very serpent at the bottom. It's piercing Skeletor. It's piercing Satan himself, and that's how he envisioned. Christ is destroying the enemy, and in a sense working through us to do it. Now, we can debate a lot of things about the impact of Constantine in other ways, but he certainly had the right idea of who Jesus is vis-a-vis -vis what's going on in this world right now. So I've come this morning to tell you one thing, basically. You are plunder. I hope you're not offended by my saying that to you, but that's the truth. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, we've been, this is you, and me, he says, we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness, that's 
this world, right, under the power of Satan, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, who, through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, that transfer took place. And you were brought out of a world that's under the control of the deceiving and evil powers of the enemy. And you do not belong to yourself any longer. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, uh, you do not belong to yourselves anymore. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your earthly life. That's, that's what your life is all about right now, and mine too. Again, uh, Paul says very clearly, for you and for me, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live. If you've come to Jesus, in a sense, you're not the person living anymore. But it goes on to say, it's Christ who's living in me in the life I now am living. I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me, who plundered me. And so now, my whole life is all about him. Philippians 3, Paul says, I press on to lay hold of everything for which Christ has already laid hold of me. There's plundering in two directions here. <laughs> he says, first of all, Jesus, first of all, the whole thing started when Jesus plundered me. He laid hold of me. Now, he says, he invites me to plunder him, to lay hold of everything he has for me in himself. Isn't that exciting? Or one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ's victory procession and manifests through us the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Do you know what Paul's doing right there? This is so cool. He, he's grabbing an image from the Roman Empire. He's grabbing an image that he probably had witnessed himself at one time or another because when the emperor uh, went out to battle and, and defeated the enemy, then all the soldiers they had captured would be paraded, literally, to become slaves of Rome, be paraded back through the city with the emperor at the head of the parade. It was his triumphal procession. Well, Paul says, you know, there's been a battle waged here, and we have been plundered, and now we're in a victory procession, but it's a glorious victory. We're participating in the victory even though we are now his slaves will belong to him forever. And because of that, our lives are now transformed so that we are manifesting the aroma, the fragrance of the knowledge of who Jesus is everywhere we go. You say, well, how, how did Jesus do this work of plundering? Four ways. Number one, his incarnation. He had to come into this world, unlike He-Man, who remained He-Man after he got here. <laughs> Jesus came as a baby. He became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He engaged the forces of darkness on the inside. That's when he entered the house of Baal on Christmas Day. And so we sing, God, rest you merry, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. When we had gone astray, old tidings of comfort and, and joy. He did it by the crucifixion. Again, I'll just give you one verse. Colossians chapter 2, where Paul talks about, in verse 16, that Jesus died to, to take away our sin. But then he goes on and adds three things about the impact of the cross on the forces of darkness. He said, he has disarmed 
the prince, this is all one verse about the cross. He has disarmed the principalities and powers, number one. Number two, he has made a public display of them. In other words, he's shown the world who they really are, not what they claim to be. And third, in the same verse he says, and he has triumphed over them by his cross. And then third and fourth, which really go together, the resurrection, the ascension, is all part of one major drama that goes on. Uh, the resurrection to the ascension, to the sitting at the right hand of the Father. So then that, that we read among many verses, you know that, that passage in Colossians 2, or Philippians 2, after talking about the death of Jesus, it says, therefore, because of Jesus' death, God has highly exalted him, resurrection, ascension, and given him a name, it's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, now watch it, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The forces of darkness, finally, every one of them, on their knees in the end. And he goes on, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. You know, there's another word in the Bible for everything I've been talking about here this morning, and that word is redeemed. In Revelation 5, when we read that scene where, where the multitude is around the throne and they're worshiping the Lamb and they fall down before him and they say, worthy is the Lamb who is slain, who has redeemed us from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, you, you could take that word redeem and, su and substitute the word plunder and it would read like this. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, who has plundered us out of every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Back on uh, January 1st, uh, Robin and I, my wife and I, did something we often do at the beginning of every new year, and that is have a short time of prayer, not about the past, but about the future. Sort of praying about whatever God's going to do with us in this coming year. And this past January 1st, before we did that, we we were thinking about, well, you know, a little bit about Scripture, and, and God brought us into Romans chapter 14, and it is so appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. I'd like to share with you uh, three of those verses, and then the one part of it that changed the way we prayed and the way we intend to live the rest of this year. The passage is from Romans 14. You'll see it on the screen. It says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. He's talking about believers now. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, well, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now watch this. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. For this reason, why did Jesus come into the world? Why did he become a, a, one of us in the incarnation? Why did he die on the cross as, and suffer what he did? Why, why did he defeat the powers of death and, and rise again from the grave? Why, why did he and why is he now uh, ascended and sitting and ruling at the right hand of the Father? Why all of that? Is it so you can be forgiven and go to heaven? Is it so your life can be lived with a little more joy, a little more peace, a little more victory? Of course, God wants all of that for you. It's so that you can experience the goodness of the Lord. He wants that for you. But that's not what this passage says. 
And what happened to us as we read this passage and what changed the way we prayed is we decided to take that last sentence and cut it in half so that it reads like this. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord. So that he might have some plunder that would belong to him forever so that he could carry out his reign the way he was meant to carry out his reign over people like you and me both now and for all the ages to come. That is the primary reason Christ came. And everything else is thrown in afterwards. So my wife and I, we, we prayed that we would live every day of this coming year in light of that the only thing that matters is Jesus wants to be Lord <laughs> of everything that's going on. And we said, we'll say, we gave each other permission <clears throat> that if we see each other complaining or feeling discouraged or feeling down, we, we'd look the other one in the eye and said, for this reason Christ came and died and rose, that he might be Lord. He's Lord of you. That's what he wants to be. Don't forget that, no matter how discouraged you may feel. <laughs> So uh, we've been practicing that ever since. <laughs> you know, I want to give you a quick sidebar and I'm done. Number one, what is this thing about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's really simple in the context. He doesn't say that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. He says it can't be forgiven. Why is that? Because if you go on blaspheming the Spirit, then there is nowhere else to go. Because you see, the role of the Holy Spirit is to do what I hope he's doing in this room right now, and that is to reveal to us more of Christ, to draw us into more of Christ, to make the lordship of Christ as real to us as it actually is. And so here the Pharisees say, no, he, he's working by demonic powers, when it was really the Spirit of God that was doing it. And he's just warning them, if you keep on making that conclusion, then there's nothing left for you because there's no way for you to get to me unless the Spirit draws you. And that's still true in this room right now. A second thing in this sidebar is this whole deal about Jesus' family thinking he's crazy <laughs> and coming to take him home to recuperate. <clears throat> so what does Jesus say at the end? Well, he says, wait a minute. Let me tell you who my real family is, my brothers, my sister, even my real mother. See. He's talking about replacing Mary, the Virgin Mary. <laughs> well, just look at his words. It says, he looked at those who were sitting all around. Can you imagine all these people sitting there, hanging on his every word? Maybe many of them had been delivered from demons. Many, many of them had already been healed. They had heard the teaching. They had believed. They had given their lives to Christ. They were his plunder, sitting there all around him. He says, let me tell you who's in my family, the people who are sitting here. Because if you get plundered, you're not just an object. You now become a child of the living God and a brother and a sister and a mother to Jesus. You know, Bob Dylan had it right, didn't he? I'd like to put up, uh, you know, Bob Dylan, uh, when you go to his website, this song is the one they feature at the beginning. It's one of his most famous songs. It is said that when he wrote it, it was because he had committed his life to Christ. And uh, this was his sort of way, it has about eight verses, you should look it up, it really is, theologically, it is really potent. Now, I don't know where he is spiritually today, so I'm not speaking to that, but back when he 
publicly declared he had committed his life to Christ. Shortly after that, he wrote this uh, song. And, and there are all these verses, but the chorus is the same. Listen to the chorus. It's on the screen. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, I hope I fulfilled my promise that maybe you'd have a new way of looking at yourself, the people sitting around you, a new way of looking at the Lord Jesus. And now I want us to end with this uh, spiritual calisthenic. And incidentally, you know Jeff always wants to give you something to remember and something to do. I'm making it really easy for you right now. Just remember what we're about to recite. That's what you should remember. And then the thing to do is what we're going to do right now, you go and do that at the beginning of each day this week and see if it doesn't change the way you come at the rest of that day. Just a suggestion. Would you stand? You're going to see the words on the screen. This time you're not repeating after me. We're going to say it together using the hand motions. Are you ready? Here we go. I am plunder. You are plunder. All of us are plunder. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the mighty plunder, and we belong to you forever. You know, that's a prayer, isn't it? So I'll just end by saying, amen. You may be seated.